Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and I have some exciting news to share with you. If you listen to Why It Works, you probably know I love audiobooks. I listen to about one a week, which equals over 50 new books a year. After much cajoling and inspiration by my good friend, Luis Rosado, I just released my own audiobook, Unlock Your Charisma. I'll share the link in the show notes and on my website at www.connectioncounselor.com slash whyitworks. Have a listen so you can be seen, be valued, and be chosen. This show is sponsored by the always dynamic, super inspiring man of brand, Kaplan Mowbray. I can't do it justice, so here's Kaplan sharing an exciting new development in his own words. You are the product of what inspires you. Well beneath what you wear is what inspires you. Every day there is something deep within you that drives you to be your best, to accept a challenge, to take a leap, to push forward, to step out, to jump, and to run freely so you can celebrate the best of who you are. One of the greatest things you can do is to get in touch with what inspires you, to live life by decision, not by default. And that's my inspiration behind the K-Line. I created this line of clothing and apparel to celebrate the inspiration called you. Every K is a reminder to live your life to the fullest, unapologetic, with an unwavering commitment to be you, show you, wear you, do you, believe in you, and live you to the max. Courage. It takes courage to overcome and bounce back, to face life's challenge and embrace life's richest opportunities. Check out the rest of Kaplan's inspiring message in the show notes at www.connectioncounselor.com slash why it works or on YouTube. Here with us today is Charles Middleton, an international tax lawyer with a practice focused on whistleblower advocacy and startups. Charlie led tax teams at GE, Caterpillar, Walmart, and Oxbow for 20 years. Charlie is also a whistleblower and has personal experience with how whistleblowers are actually treated after they blow the whistle. We speak to Charlie from his home in West Palm Beach, Florida. Welcome, Charlie, to the Whiteworks podcast, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So we had a chance to connect uh, before the recording, and we both have kind of uh, touches or, or associations with the accounting industry. And I was curious to get your perspective on the role of honesty in different industries or maybe even in different types of jobs that people might find themselves in. You know, like when does it matter? When does it not? And when do you sometimes get thrown a curveball? So I'm a uh, tax lawyer and tax lawyers have an interesting relationship with the truth, specifically gray areas, right? You know, you, um, you tell your children that, that uh, the truth or lies are simple. As an adult, that's not always the case. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, let's get to know you a little better. Tell us what you do, but break it down as if you were explaining it to a five-year-old. Because as a lawyer, I understand you know, what you say when you say you're a tax lawyer, but maybe other folks, it may not make as much sense to them. So um, I am currently a, a whistleblower and a whistleblower advocate, which, and, and whistleblowers are people who, who tell uh, secrets um, that, uh, that, that other people would prefer you kept secret. Um, and, uh, but prior to that, I was a tax lawyer, which is uh, someone who helps companies uh, comply with very complicated tax rules and, and, and get, the, get, get it so that they pay less tax to the government by interpreting and manipulating those rules. Mm. So you help people follow the rules and in the process they save money. That's right. Okay, great. There's, a, there's essentially two pieces of, of the tax industry, compliance, which is complying with the law, mm-hmm. filling in forms, doing the spreadsheets, and planning, which is the more interesting and lucrative part, which is manipulating the rules and the facts so that you can achieve lower taxes for your client. Okay, great. Well, I'm so happy you're here today to talk about the topic of honesty, and let me tell you why. I've been thinking recently about this concept of big lies, you know, and even uh, considering creating a second podcast called The Big Lie, where oftentimes we go through our lives believing a certain thing. The world works a certain way, people are a certain way, and it's just assumed, right? Because it's not just us. It's like the world almost, our parents, everyone is telling us like, this is the way it is. And and we operate under this. And then one day, for some reason, we realize, oh my God, this is totally wrong. And once we figure that out, it can kind of change everything, right? In terms of your career, in terms of your uh, relationships, in terms of your your life. So I know you have a very interesting story um, in terms of your career and, and honesty and, and how that's affected you. Um, how do you see honesty impacting people's careers? Well, we, we all like to think of ourselves as, as honest and we think that honesty is the best policy and we think that that, that is true in our professional lives as well. I, I think that it, especially as you get to senior levels, that becomes less true. One, one of the things which um, as an M&A lawyer you, you learn is that the first sign that a company is engaged in negotiations to be bought or sold by another company is when the CEO denies it in the press. Right? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I mean, it, lying is a job requirement, uh-huh. right? You, you can't be a, a president or a diplomat or a CEO or a tax lawyer unless you can lie. Um, and, and I guess there's, you know, I, I love your, your big lie idea because we all, we all, live with these big lies. So when, yeah. when, we, when we say it, it's not a lie, right? Because right. we, we, we don't have any intention to deceive. We, we truly believe that, you know, our country is better than the other country. So it's totally cool for us to invade them. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but, but it ain't so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I am excited to get into a little bit more of, of your background and your history. But why don't we get started and queue up our first clip? Great. You 
snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut these guys loose! Your Honor, you had markets inside a bony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did! Wow. That scene is still good. <laughs> it still gets me. It still gets me. So, Charlie, what, uh, what do you sort of pick up from that? What are some of the themes? What are some of the things you noticed uh, going on there in that dynamic? Well, for me, the most interesting things are, it, you know, the, um, the defendant... Um, really believes what he's saying, right? Mm. He, he, he's not lying, right? Um, but, but it's still a rationalization, right? You know, you need monsters like me to, to, to protect, you know, your, your way of life, uh, and, and we can do evil things as a result. Well, you know, I mean, it's a rationalization, but I think he believes it, um, and I think it's, it's extremely dangerous when someone believes something you know, if you're a true believer, you're much more dangerous than somebody who's, who's uncertain and skeptical and, and, and not sure, right? If, I mean, if you, if you apply the scientific method to, to answer your questions, you're less likely to, um, you know, have a passionate belief that you have to, you know, do something evil. So what I find really interesting about what you're saying here, Charlie, is, you know, how he believes it. And which leads me to think and, and would be curious to get your opinion on this. Would you think that there are a lot of other people who believe it, too, who are in similar positions of power and, you know, leadership as, as uh, Jack Nicholson in the movie? Absolutely. And, you know, I remember having endless debates, especially at work. Uh, I worked at GE at the time uh, when what, right after 9-11 when you know america was was sort of rationalizing to itself that waterboarding wasn't torture and 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 
uh, it wasn't a violation of the Geneva Convention and, and all that stuff that, that, you know, that happened at that time. And, and the GE company I worked for had an awesome culture where they had a lunchroom and people would, would sit at lunch tables and, and frequently the CEO was there. And you, I mean, you had a lot of time to interact with, with, with senior people and with, with people across the company. And I remember having these passionate arguments where huh. I was going, come on guys, somebody, somebody else around here doesn't think we should torture people, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> right? But, but I mean, a lot of people thought it, right? But a lot yeah. Of people, of course, we, I mean, if somebody's going to blow up New York City and they have the secret, then you have to torture him. You're going to let somebody kill your mother, right? But, you know, it's a, it's a false, you know, question. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, academic, but, like, I always think about, like, those um, philosophy classes where they have the thing with, like, the trolley, you know, and then oh, yeah. and the trolley's going and you can switch it and, you know, there's two people and you can decide which one it kills. Like, who does it, you know who do you switch it to? And then they changed the hypothetical. They were like, well, instead of like, you know, one and one, you have one person and 10 people. Right. And then, and then who do you decide? But then they say, oh no, but look, the one person's your mom. You know, and it's, and it's just like, ah, it's like your mind's going to explode. <laughs> yeah. That TV show, the good place is great with that stuff. It's specifically the trolley question. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I, I love philosophy questions, but I mean, you, the, 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 the the true believer doesn't have to wrestle with the questions. They know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? They know they have to be on that wall. They know mm-hmm. they have to, to do the, to do to that unpleasant, nasty thing. Um, you know, whereas whereas the rest of us are wringing our hands, going, "Gosh, can can we really justify torture?" You know. So I'd like to get your take on something that um that I picked up when I was watching uh, that clip. Um, there was almost a weird juxtaposition of uh, the lawyer, you know, Tom Cruise is the prosecutor, his characters, I'm just going to assume a bit of naivete, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Because he's in an office and he's Jag and he's not like, he's not getting shot at and stuff. You know, I'm just going to be generous and and, and assume that on Jack Nicholson's part. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the Colonel, Colonel Jessup, there's like a real contempt you know, like a real contempt of anyone who's not doing kind of what I do, the hard choices, this real kind of like, I, I, can, I can get away with stuff because you people are weak and I am strong. So therefore, I get to take more liberties than maybe you would otherwise. I'm just curious to get your sort of take on that sort of dynamic, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you're right on. And, and, and everybody thinks that they're special, right? I mean, that, you know, every single culture in the history of humanity believes that they're God's chosen people, right? I mean, it's, it's very, it's just human nature to believe that you're special. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a look at our next clip, which is one that you chose. Thank you uh, for recommending it uh, with uh, a writer that I like a lot and I know is uh, a lot of people's favorite writer. Welcome back to the show. My guest tonight is a legendary novelist whose books include Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, and Breakfast of Champions. And uh, as an adolescent, he made my life bearable. His latest is A Man Without a Country. It's a collection of personal reflections. Please welcome to the show, Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It is is my absolute honor to, to talk with you. Well, I... I've longed for this moment. 
I mean, you are enormously popular among the right sort of people. Your subject, you know, is, for this week is evolution. That is true. And uh, my training is scientific, uh, but I do feel that evolution is being controlled by some sort of divine engineer. I can't help thinking that. And uh, this engineer knows exactly what he or she is doing uh, and why and, and where evolution is headed. And uh, that's why we've got giraffes and hippopotami in the clap. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that, but, uh, <laughs> but now I know. Do you find, you know, I always felt in your writing that you were admiring of man, but disappointed in him. Yes, well, I, th I think we are terrible animals. And I think, I think our planet's immune system is trying to get rid of us and should. Uh, after, you know, it's, it's after the Spanish Inquisition and the Roman games and burning women in squares, public squares, and World War One and World War Two and the Holocaust and Nagasaki and all that. <laughs> so, Charlie, uh, what can we take away from this uh, very distinguished writer, Mr. Vonnegut? Uh, he, he is fantastic. Um, the... the the thing which he was talking about, right, you know, Nagasaki and the like, is, is, the, is the truth is ugly, right? I mean, that, that you know, we, we uh, tend to be taught this version of history where, I mean, I re literally remember being taught that, that, that no democracy has ever attacked another democracy, right? That, that, that wow. no democracy has ever been an aggressor in a war, right? Well, huh. it's, it's simply not true, yeah. right? But, but we have, the, you know, we don't think of, and the, you did, the, the, we didn't get to the part in the clip which I, which I like the most, which, where Vonnegut says something along the lines of, you know, we can teach the Iraqis a lot about democracy. When, when you have a democracy, you know, after about 150 years, you let the slaves go. Sorry, after 100 years, you let the slaves go. After 150 <laughs> years, you let the women vote, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's perfectly okay to start with the genocide. That's cool. So, I mean, it, it, you know, the... America's history is truly violent and ugly, and human history is truly violent and ugly. And we don't, we don't think of that in our daily life, right? I mean, an artist like, like Vonnegut reminds us of it, but, but, but it's easy for us to sort of live in this, you know, America saved the world in World War II, and we're, you know, special, and, and, and we don't, you know, do bad things. Uh, and, and our team doesn't do bad things, and our company doesn't do bad things. Well, somebody's doing these bad things, right? <laughs> well, you know, um, Two things I'm 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 taking away from what you're saying. Uh, the first is this whole concept of uh, the victor gets to write history, right? Like the winners get to sort of control the narrative in of to a certain varying extent. And and I, and I guess in olden times it was even easier. I mean now it's a little bit uh, more difficult in the information age. Um, and then the other thing that uh, what you were saying reminds me of is. You know, I was born in America, grew up in America, and, you know, um, have those same kind of sort of perspectives, right? Like America is a good country, we're a democracy, because you grow up in that environment, right? It would actually be a little bit odd for you to think 
anything else as a child, you know, like as a young person growing up, right? And then like, you know, uh, between undergrad and law school, I traveled and I spent a year abroad in, in Korea, in South Korea. And, you know, my friends there, people, friends that I made over there were asking me all these kind of questions about why is America doing this and America doing that. And like, it just really threw me for a loop, you know, because they were coming from a totally different perception and perspective of America's actions, which me, having been born and bred as an American, it's like it would never even occur to me to to think that I'm not like a journalist. I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like clueless. I'm just like moving through life, you know, la, 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 la. And it just really kind of shocked me like, oh, there are other people who don't think that everything America does is like amazing and awesome and peachy keen. Yeah, there's different versions of the truth. The um... The World War II Museum in Tokyo is amazing. And, and the best part about it for me was I, uh, I, I walked into the museum, I was by myself for some reason, and I was, I was reading the, the, the prelude to war. And, and it was explaining how America uh, you know, embargoed uh, Japan, and so they couldn't get the natural resources, the rubber and the oil and stuff they needed. And so, you know, how, you know, and it was kind of explaining how, how America you know, started the war. Right. And, 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 and America was was the aggressor by, by doing this. And, um, and 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 Japan really had no choice but to declare war. Um, and uh, so they so they, you know, declared war properly and America got the, the message and uh, and then they and then they honorably attacked. Right. Which is slightly different from the version that we learned in school. Right. Exactly. And I was sitting there like looking around, literally looking for the camera. Like, am I being punked? <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, this is an actual museum. I mean, like, how do they set up this whole fake thing just to you know, make fun of me? Right? Just for you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, like, that is their version of the truth, right? Yeah, you know, and, and what I find so fascinating about, about that example you just gave is if you, if you pull it down to a more personal level, right? Let's say you and I are business associates or friends, right? And at some point, our relationship goes south and we sue each other or we stop talking to each other, right? And, and that happens, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. I will always believe that you pulled the trigger first mm -hmm. and, and forced me to make you an enemy. And guess what? You will always believe something that I did pulled the trigger first, right? And, and I believe that like both of our views are kind of equally valid. You know, so, so it's almost like we were on this mutual path of like to be enemies and it's not really that one person forced the issue. We were already going to be there. It, it, now it's just our perspective. We, you know, when I tell my wife, ah, oh, Charlie's a bad guy. And then you tell your family, Joe's a jerk, you know, he's, he's unethical. Um, those are the stories we lay on top, but I feel like the dynamic is already heading. Like we were going to, we, this, our, this relationship, this business partnership was never going to work, you know? Yeah. Well, look at, look at any divorce, right? I mean, what percentage of divorces do you not have? If you talk to the, to one spouse, the other spouse is just pure evil. Right. And of course they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and how many times do you get someone, whether it's a divorce or a business relationship or what, or a friendship even saying it was me, it was 100% me. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like there were no, there were no mitigating circumstances. It was just totally me. I, I, I'm, I'm pure evil. <laughs> Basically, I'm a narcissist, right? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. No, no one is that self-aware. 
I mean, yeah. back on the, the Jack Nicholson cli uh, clip, I didn't think, I don't think most people are as self-aware as he was, right? Huh. He knew he was a monster, right? Yeah. You know, when I was watching it, I mean, obviously movies, people are 10 times more articulate than they are in real life. Sure. Um, but, but he he was recognizing that he was a monster. And and I think that most most monsters don't recognize they're a monster. I think that's what makes them dangerous, right? Exactly. Well, let's take a look uh, at our next clip. Michael, thank God. Look, I, I, I got a situation. Arthur Edens just stripped down naked in a deposition room in Milwaukee. You are the senior litigating partner of one of the largest, most respected law firms in the world. You are a legend. I'm an accomplice. You're a manic depressive. I am Shiva, the god of death. I'm Michael Clayton. You're late. This is a $3 billion class action lawsuit. The architect of our defense has been arrested for running naked through a parking lot. He's building a case against you, North. Nobody's going to let him do that. Let him? Who the hell's going to stop him? I spent 12% of my life defending the reputation of a deadly weed killer. Arthur. No way. They killed the Michael. You, North, needs to know he's under control. They've been shook up. They need to be reassured. What are you telling me? That I'm counting on you. He didn't want to say exactly what it was. Just that it was something that would win the whole case. I'm not the enemy. And who are you? You got all these cops thinking you're a lawyer. Then you got all these lawyers thinking you're some kind of cop. You got everybody fooled, don't you? You know exactly what you want. You gotta saddle up here, Michael, and get things under control. What if Arthur was on to something? Do you know Michael Clayton? We have a situation. Stay in the car, lock the door. What would they do if you went public? Arthur, open the door. What would they do? They're doing it. Freeze! Who called it in? Does that make sense to you? This happening? It's like never that. happened. Get out. Get out of the car now. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so blind you don't even see what I am? Do I look like I'm negotiating? So, um, I said that this was dramatic, but is it really dramatic or <laughs> is it realistic? Right, Charlie? <laughs> How, how dramatic can a story about lawyers be? Not, uh, <laughs> movies. I absolutely love this movie. I, I was amazed when you when you picked it as a as a, as a clip because I, I literally have the screenplay. Love it, right? And you know, I mean, Arthur is a is a is a whistleblower, right? Uh -huh. You know, the, he, he's the lawyer, and lawyers have have a, a fiduciary obligation to to protect their clients. So, um, but but he's you know he wants to do the right thing because his his client is trying to do something evil, and the and the um, George Clooney character is, 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 you know, is a helper. Is it, he helps, you know, people get away with bad stuff, right? Which, which a lot of times lawyers do, right? I mean, there's a vast white collar criminal defense network that's comprised mostly of former prosecutors and DOJ guys. And they, you know, they help companies get away with stuff, right? That, that they did intentionally or unintentionally. Um, so I, I love this this uh, this you know movie um, because it you know the, the 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 Arthur character obviously has decided that he's going over the other side and he's going to write for fight for the for good instead of uh, you know 
you know, his corporate bosses, but, but the uh, George Clooney character is, um, he's willing to be the good soldier. And, you know, the, the, the line about, uh, you know, I'm not the guy you kill. I'm the guy you buy. Right. And like I can be bought. Right. And we don't think, you know, corporate employees and lawyers don't think of themselves as being, um, of, uh, you know, negotiable honesty, but, uh, I mean, they are, right? We are, you know, that, you know, they can argue either side. Well, both sides can't be right, right? And um, connected lawyers, smart lawyers, good lawyers win. Well, you know, is, is that because their clients are always right? Of course not, right? It's because, it's because they're smart, articulate, and I think a lot of times it's because they're connected, right? They have those relationships. So, uh, Charlie, this sounds like a really good uh, topic for the big lie, <laughs> right? The lawyer, like some poor 1L, you know, about to go into law school, thinks, oh, let me study my cases. And if I study real hard and clerk at the Supreme Court, I will win all my cases because I know the law better than you. But clearly, there's more to it than that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, I mean, for me, one of the most interesting categories of 1Ls is the, is the people who love the environment who go into environmental law. Okay. And then, you know, okay, so, so what are your choices once you graduate, right? You can go to a big law firm and you can get the, you know, whatever they're paying 1Ls, is, you know, whatever they're paying first years at the big firms these days, sure. 150 or 160 or whatever. Right. Or you could go work for the, you know, Sierra Club, you know, making 40, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the, the, the smart, you know, people have a tendency to go to the big firm and they have a tendency to get addicted to that, to that, you know, 160, 180, 200, you know, they make partner, they're making, you know, and, you know, they, now they're, they're, they're defending companies that are polluting. So it's a bit of golden handcuffs, right? You know? Well, not only is it golden handcuffs, right? For me, it's the, it's the, they become the bad guy. Right, they huh. start off wanting to be the good guy, and then they just they just slowly, slowly, slowly became the bad guy. Now that, like <laughs> that 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 is very interesting to me, Charlie. Like how that um, don't want to be too dramatic, but like that transformation happens, right? Like like that shift from and and they went in, and you and I probably can agree that they went in with a pure intention and real love for what they thought they were going to do, but some changed along the way right yeah well like that arthur character saying i spent 12 12 of my life defending the reputation of a deadly weed killer right mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't think i think most people don't wake up one day and go you know what have i done i think most people you know they 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 value their work they value their colleagues they don't they don't think you know i'm defending the reputation of a deadly weed killer but they are i mean a, a lot of the legal profession is i mean who pays a thousand bucks an hour, right? Walmart expended one billion dollars defending itself against corruption charges, mm-hmm. right? Gosh, I wonder if they were innocent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know a guy who um, did some work for uh, BP after the oil spill, right? Sure. So he had a team and his company were, you know, were, were kind of helping them gather all the documentation and stuff like that. And you can imagine that's like a huge job, you know, sure. and they basically just, you know, kind of 
said, what do you need? You know what I mean? Because they were gonna pay to do this right, whatever you think that means from BP's perspective. I'm not gonna opine on that. But I mean, like, you know, like, there was no question that this guy was gonna get the resources he needed to do the job that he needed to do. Um, and it's not like he was, you know, I don't know, trying to save a rainforest. I mean, this was like a, like, like a big, you know, like a big thing. So it's, it's interesting to me, like that, that whole factor of like, where does the money flow from and, and how does that affect people's sort of perspective? Uh, honestly, it's so difficult. When, when I had a job once where the, my employer bought a Chinese company. The Chinese company was not complying with the law at all. And um, they weren't filing, they were filing these inaccurate tax returns every week under penalty of perjury. And um, when I was called in as an American lawyer, I said, you have to fix that immediately, mm-hmm. right? And so then I talked to a whole bunch of local experts and, and one of the local experts was, was previously a Chinese tax collector and mm-hmm. she was now at a big four accounting firm. And I said, so I think we should immediately correct these fraudulent tax returns that we're filing every week. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, you shouldn't do that. Um, because the person receiving the return already knows it's not true. And, 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 you know, if you tell a lie to somebody who knows it's a lie, is it really a lie? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, my head is spinning. She literally made this argument to me and, and, and actually, you know, and a lot of people, I talked to a lot of people and a lot of people said, you know, you can't be culturally insensitive, right? I mean, you're going to, if you, Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) You shame the tax collector. They're going to, they're going to punish you for it. Uh-huh. And, 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 and this company did not come into compliance. I mean, they, they, it took a long time to, to they, every week, they're, they're fi- continuing to file these fraudulent tax returns. Um, and and uh, yeah, they got away with it. Wow, wow. You know, um, I, I don't remember his name, but I, I, I heard him talk once. I think he talked live uh, at one of the companies I was at. And this was a guy who's, who had been arrested and gone to jail for a few years for like, you know, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, you know, bribery type sort of stuff. And he worked at a large industrial type kind of thing where you could see that kind of thing happening, right? Where they have like big contracts overseas. And um, he actually turned state's evidence and, you know, helped, you know, get some of the, some of the other executives. But when he came out of um, jail, he started a business helping other companies kind of suss out what's going on in their own backyard to figure it out because he knows because he was that guy, you know? And the most interesting thing he said to me during his presentation was there was a moment early on where he's in a crowded restaurant. It's just him and like the local contact, right? I don't remember what country it is. And he gets him alone. And basically says, you know, I just want to share something with you. This is what happened. I had to pay this guy a little extra money. Don't worry. I took care of it. It's fine. Um, You don't have to do anything. I just wanted to let you know that this happened. And what he said was that was like the last chance. Well, not the last chance, but like Mm -hmm. that, that was like the chance that he should have stood up and said, no, this is not okay. But because he went along with it and they were like, okay, this guy will take a little bite. Let's give him another bite. And soon he was doing all sorts of stuff, like forging stuff, writing, you know what I mean? And it was very interesting to me. Like, like no one comes up to you, Charlie, with an envelope of money and says, hey, this is a bribe. Like, that's not the way the game is played. 
Right. Yeah. You, you slowly sort of get indoctrinated into what's okay, what's not okay. Although it's funny that you mentioned envelopes of cash, right? It is actually legal to give politicians in America envelopes full of cash as long as there's less than $2,000 in it in the state of Florida, I believe. Uh, you know, and, and I remember having a discussion with a lobbyist and the lobbyist had a whole bunch of envelopes with $2,000 in them. What? <laughs> and he was going to make campaign contributions and he was explaining how it was important that you did it at the right time. Like when they're going into session, like here you go, you know, um, I really you know, support your, what, you, what you're working on and I hope that you, you know, look out for our interests. You know, here's a little something, right? And, it, it, you know, I mean, this guy was very candid and it was, it's not against the law. I mean, our right. system, the way that our political system is funded, you know, especially after Citizens United, um, you know, we, we, the, this country is becoming more and more corrupt because, you know, the, the influence of money in politics is, is having the same influence, the influence of money in, in corporate America, right? I mean, it's, mm. it, it is legal. It is legal to give politicians money. You know, the, the, the postmaster general is, a, is about to be replaced with a guy who gave uh, President Trump $2 million, right? Mm-hmm. I think it sounds like he's a, he's a, he's a qualified guy for the job. Mm. But, I mean, of course, the fact that he gave $2 million makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like ambassadors, right? Ambassadors have been appointed because they raise money for candidates forever, right? It, it's a, you know, we have a, we have a system where you kind of get indoctrinated to, you know, ignore conflicts of interest or even seek them out. Yeah, you know, I think you're saying something very important here, which is the role of the system in almost guiding, allowing, indoctrinating the behavior, right? And if you have a different system, then the behavior changes. But it seems almost naive to think you set up a system where all these kind of um, uh, loopholes can be exploited and, 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 and influence can be bought and not expect it to happen that way. I mean, that's the cash is like water. It's just going to flow where you let it flow. Yeah. I'm writing an article right now called uh, Don't Hate the Player, Hate the Game. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, don't, I have a tendency. You, you see these people doing corrupt things. Uh-huh. And you know that they're not fundamentally corrupt people, right? They just, they right. just kind of got into the situation, right? They didn't, they didn't, you know, wake up and, you know, kiss their wife and, you know, you know, have breakfast with their daughter and, you know, you know, feed the dog, you know, and, and go, all right, I'm out to commit some fraud, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's not how it works, right? It just, it just sort of, you know, they just sort of survive in the environment where, where, where it's essential, right? You know, it's essential that they get on the phone and they say, absolutely, we're not, we're not negotiating a merger with, you know, with our, with our biggest rivals to, to consolidate the industry. We would never do that, right? You know, then they go straight to the meeting where they're doing exactly that. Wow, wow. Oh, boy. All right, let's take a look at our last clip and uh, see what Mr. Pacino has to say. Mr. Sims, you are a cover-up artist and you are a liar. But not a snitch. Excuse me? No, I don't think I will. Mr. Slade. This is such a crock of sh- Please watch your language, Mr. Slade. You are in the Barrett School, not a barracks. Mr. Sims, I will give you one final opportunity to speak up. Mr. Sims doesn't want it. 
He doesn't need to be labeled still worthy of being a bad man. What the hell is that? What is your motto here? Boys, inform on your classmates. Save your hide. Anything short of that, we're going to burn you at the stake? Well, gentlemen, when the shit hits the fan, some guys run and some guys stay. Here's Charlie facing the fire and there's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. And what are you doing? You're going to reward George and destroy Charlie. Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. I don't know who went to this place. William Howard Taft, William Jennings Bride, William Tell, whoever. Their spirit is dead, if they ever had one. It's gone. You're building a rat ship here. A vessel for seagoing snitches. And if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, you better think again. Because I say you are killing the very spirit this institution proclaims it instills. What a sham. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? I mean, the only class in this act is sitting next to me. And I'm here to tell you, this boy's soul is intact. It's non-negotiable. You know how I know? Someone here, and I'm not going to say who, offered to buy it. Only Charlie here wasn't selling. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order. I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I'd show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too fucking blind. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Out of order. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen boys like these, younger than these, their arms torn out, their legs ripped off. But there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. There is no prosthetic for that. So, Charlie, what's your uh, reaction to that? Uh, I love very, that. Uh, yeah. I love that scene. So, so, so as a whistleblower and, and as an advocate for other whistleblowers, you know, it seems like that, that clip is anti-whistleblower, right? It's anti-snitch, okay. right? Whistleblowers are snitches, right? right. Uh, but it's not, right? Because, huh. because being a whistleblower is not about being a snitch. Being a whistleblower is about standing up to the powerful when the powerful are wrong, right? Mm. And, and so, you know, I think that, you know, we have this huge culture in this country and, and I guess in the world of, of admiring the whistleblowers who uh, successfully, you know, help avoid uh, tragedy, right? Um, you know, the, the whistleblowers who, who, who raise their hand and, and but, but the, those whistleblowers themselves personally tend to get crushed, right? You know, just like, just like uh, Charlie uh, in that scene, uh, was was about to get crushed right mm -hmm. i mean the school said if you don't play ball with us we're going to kick you out and you know you're on a scholarship you're going to lose your scholarship you're going to go back to your poor life and you're going to miss your opportunity to be in the big time right mm -hmm. and uh, we're, we're not for al pacino uh, stepping in and you know so so i mean being a whistleblower is 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 standing up to the power that that corrupts us right i mean you we were talking earlier about you know how do you how does the the young uh, you know environmental lawyer become the guy who 
who is defending the company's right to pollute? Mm-hmm. Um, well, money, right? Power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, that you, you, you really kind of get used to, to, to BMWs and, and big houses, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. trips to Europe, right? It's fun, right? But, but it's very hard to, to do that and also be, you know, on, on, the, on the side of, uh, you know, always doing the right thing, right? When, when, that, when, when somebody says, hey, I had to make a little facilitation payment, you know, you can say, dude, are you, I'm turning you in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, your career is then over, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and, and the, the thing which, which, which drives me insane is you know, whistleblowers are fired from their current job and, uh, and retaliated against. And, and the system is trying to fix that and make it illegal to, to fire people and make them a protected category and make the company keep them. I, I've never liked that solution, right? Because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense to work somewhere that doesn't want you, right? Yeah, yeah. So great, you forced your corrupt company to keep you even though they hate you. Right. Uh, that's, not a, that's, uh, you know, that's not a fun way to live. Yeah. For me, the, the right answer is if other companies go, Hey, right on. I like I like the fact that you stood up for what's right, and you know we'll hire you. But 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 whistleblowers are universally blackballed, right? Mm-hmm. Sharon Watkins was Times Person of the Year for blowing the whistle at Enron. Mm-hmm. When you listen to her speak, one of the things she says is, you know, I I miss my career. I miss being, mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, an accountant. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, you're an international hero. You're telling me one of the big four doesn't want you. Right. And, 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 and that's exactly what she's saying. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I wrote an article called whistleblower versus any whistleblower talking about Susan Fowler mm. uh, and, and Susan Fowler was the Uber whistleblower. She's, she's clearly a genius, right? If you look at, you know, how she came from poverty to, to being a, you know, a nuclear physicist to, you know, um, to being a coder, writing books on coding and all this, and then having the courage to, to stand up to, to the Uber power structure mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, she was vindicated, right? The, the CEO of Uber lost his job. Mm. She's not in the industry anymore, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's not who they want, right? They don't want Susan Fowler with her, her brilliance and her courage, right? They want someone who's going to go along, right? And, and no one tells that to themselves. But if you just step back and you look at what's happening, that, that is what is happening, right? Um, the, the, the people who have the courage to stand up are not just fired. They're fired and unemployable. Right. So, so, so you'd have to, you'd have to be an idiot to sign up for that deal. So of course you take that package of, of, of uh, money. Right. Besides you've got a legal opinion that says it's fine. It's a facilitation payment. See, mm. it's not a bribe. Mm. <laughs> well, what I love about what you're saying here, Charlie, is um, that nuance, which you've picked up, which is that it's not just between the whistleblower and their company or the whistleblower and their company and whatever law happens to be in place. It's, it's the greater environment that we're swimming in, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like if you had whistleblowers like welcome, like a conquering hero, like come, you have your pick of the litter, you know, whatever job you want, you're going to get the corner office. We honor you, right? And, and if there is corruption in, in, in our building, we want you to suss it out. And we want to get rid of that. We want to excise that as soon as possible. We cannot tolerate that within our hollowed halls, right? Like if that was the water that we swum in, 
then it wouldn't really matter what the law said almost, right? Because you would do the right thing. You wouldn't get any money from the government, but guess what? You'd be celebrated by every other company and they'd, they'd be fighting for you. Imagine that kind of world. Well, it's, it's interesting. The, the studies have been done to show where, who, from, from where the information where fraud is revealed comes, right? And, and, and they, they determined that 4% of it is from external audit firms. And, and 15% is from internal audit firms. And then there's various other sources. That, and, and whistleblowers is in excess of 40%. And that's for fraud against the company. When the, when the company is committing the fraud, it's dramatically higher. Whistleblowers are the way that, that secrets come out, right? Mm. It, it, as, a, as a an IRS auditor, you're looking for a needle in a haystack, right? You, you're, you're asking the company to tell the company about you, about, you know, about the company, and the company tells you exactly what you, they want you to hear, right? It's mm-hmm. very difficult to suss out whether they're complying with the law or not. You know, and, and the same as a, as a criminal investigator, right? It's, it's difficult to discover crimes, but you know who knows, you know, we're, we're, who's, doing the, who's doing the tax cheating? The guys in the tax department. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if the company is, is, is cheating on, you know, the environmental rules and they're dumping stuff in the river, well, the guy who drives the truck knows, right? The yeah. guy who runs the factory knows, employees know. I mean, yeah. corporations do a lot of corruption and, and employees know about all of it. Yeah. And what's amazing to me is that keeping it a secret is hard. Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, think about it. Like every single person walks around with a cell phone that has a camera on it yeah. and they can communicate for free to people on the other side of the world secretly, you know, instantly, right? It, 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 that is amazing, right? Yeah. And, and in that environment, they still keep secrets. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of power and, and it's social power, right? I mean, yeah, yeah it's know, social too. It's not just, uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and something that whistleblowers will tell you is, you know, what I really miss is my friends. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I had all these friends and all these colleagues and, you know, like, you know, I'd, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, I'd go to different cities and see them, we'd have dinner and, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, now they, now they, you know, they unfriend me on LinkedIn or whatever. Right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. we just, no, that, that, so the, the the society is is anti whistleblower, and they don't want to hear, right? I mean, if you've spent your life becoming a, an expert in international tax law, and you know how to make it look like a company that's making all of its money in America is actually making all of its money in Bermuda, where they have no people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but and and a lot of people do that for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Transfer pricing, mm-hmm. lawyers, etc. You, you don't want somebody coming along going, oh yeah. This, all that's bullshit, right? You, you're the guy who's polluting the river, right? You know, right? you know, you, you, you want to pretend that you, you know, that, that, that you, you know, no, you actually see because the because we we've caused the contracts to be signed in Bermuda. Actually, they're making all the money in Bermuda. Bullshit. That's not true, right? It's where the factory is. It's where the people are. It's where the customers are. So, you know that, but nobody wants to hear. Hey, you know your whole career that's, that, that you are proud of and that your children are proud of you for having and that, that bought you that 10,000 square foot house? Yeah, that's all bullshit. You know, you're a liar. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like the environmental lawyer who wakes up one day and they're like, you know, they're, they're defending the company that's polluting the river. And the company does have the right to, to hire that lawyer. But, you know, it's, it's, it's soul crushing if you allow yourself to think about it. So you don't. Wow, Charlie, this is... Um... This is really eye-opening, amazing stuff. I'm really, it's really been a treat 
uh, to talk to you and hear your expertise and, and your life experience uh, on honesty. Um, what are some things you're working on and how can our audience get in touch with you? Well, I'm really struggling with how to be an effective whistleblower advocate and specifically push this agenda of companies, especially honest companies, should hire whistleblowers on purpose for open positions, right? Yeah. It's free, right? If you've got a qualified person and they can't find a job because they're a whistleblower, hire them, right? Because for, for it, it, it doesn't cost what external audit costs. It doesn't cost what a compliance department costs. It's, it's, there's no marginal cost in filling the job with that person. But, but we, we as a culture are not doing it at all. So, so ending blackballing is sort of my mission, you know, because yeah. I'm blackballed. So I can't, I can't be an international tax lawyer anymore because I've, I've proven that I'm sort of, uh, you know, untrustworthy. Um, so, so I am, so, so the, the, the thing which I'm doing is writing on LinkedIn and I'm talking to people in the, in the industry and trying to figure out how to, to contribute and add to this, message and, and try to get this message adopted because to me it's it, it's it's extremely powerful you know but it, but it's but it's simply not it, it's a radical idea that someone should hire a, a whistleblower right that that you know you think i should have the freedom to hire whoever i want and that's true you should right but so now how do i convince you that you should want the guy who who says you know i'm good at my job but but i'm not going to let you break the law and if you if you if you fire me because I break the law, because, and I told you about you know the, the the fact that you're breaking the law, I'm going to take it personally. <laughs> yeah, you know it's 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 funny. Uh, I don't know if it was like a year or two ago. I I heard a, a GC or a, or a compliance officer uh, requote something about how you know when you're hiring, you know they look for three things. You know they look for. Um, intelligence, they look for work ethic, and they look for ethics. And they're like, if you don't get, you know, the third thing, you know, the first two really kill you, right? Because you get like a smart, you know, hardworking, but unethical person. But after our conversation, I have to kind of reevaluate whether that's really the way hiring <laughs> happens or retention happens. Somebody said to me one time that, that we, as you're moving your way up the corporate ladder, they evaluate first for for competence and, uh -huh. and work ethic, right? Okay. And, okay. And there's a lot of people who are competent and hardworking. Sure. And then you and then you evaluate for for the for the other thing, right? Which is kind of team player, which is our kind of person, which is fit, right? And mm -hmm. and and you know, and fighting them on sacred cows, right? Like dishonest practices, corruption, pollution. You know, you're that is that is a deal killer, right? Because 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 people demand loyalty to themselves, right? They want people who are loyal to to them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sure they want them to be loyal to the company and loyal to the world and loyal to the country, but but loyal to them is the first thing that's important to most people, right? Uh, and and I think that's why whistleblowers get blackballed. Yeah, it knocks you right out of the box. Yeah, but but you know the 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 thing which. Which I so I would ask people uh, if they're interested to look at my LinkedIn page. Great, uh, you know, we'll share it. Yeah, and then and there's a there's a you know there's a there's several articles that I've written, and uh, you know if you if you have uh, if you're a whistleblower then you know reach out to me. If if you're interested in this issue, reach out to me. You know I it's it's it, you know I, I've become passionate about uh, the the subject, uh, and and you know hopefully 
I'm optimistic that over time some some change will come. Right? We, we've we've seen the world get dramatically better very rapidly. Right? It doesn't it doesn't seem like that, but you know, I mean, this country used to have slavery and then it had an African American president. Right? Yeah. Things can change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And 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 corruption. I don't think people realize how pervasive corruption is now. Um, and it, I don't think they think that there's corruption at their company. I promise you, it's at every single company. Right? It, and and. and you know, the, the number of people, tens of thousands of people are involved in this whole anti-corruption fight, but we're not doing the one thing, you know, that, that is the most powerful. I think that's an amazing idea. Let's end on that note. Thank you, Charlie, for sharing your insights on why it works. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you ever feel like your career has hit a roadblock? Many people spend a large part of their career stuck in a rut. The sad thing is, they don't know why, and no one really tells them. In many cases, the ceiling of your career is defined not by how good you are at your job, but rather by how others perceive your leadership. In other words, executive presence. In my second book, Unlock Your Executive Presence, I reveal the six states of being actually generate executive presence and a blueprint for immediately improving how people respond to you. If you read Unlock Your Executive Presence, I have a big favor to ask. Please join us on Team 100. Our mission is to get 100 Amazon reviews in 100 days. To help, if you don't want to pay the $2.99 introductory price, no problem. Just email me in the next three days at joe at connectioncounselor.com and tell me why executive presence is important to you and I'll send you a free copy. With your help, I know we can do it. You can find the book on amazon.com or in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe Coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.